Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's Texans Radio. Texans All Access here from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Mark Vandermeer with you with the General. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, our Thursday visit. General, how's it going? Mark, it's so great outside with record-breaking heat. It makes me long for the Greenbrier in West Virginia and that cool weather we're going to get at the end of July. I didn't realize it was record-breaking for this time of year. I believe I heard last night Mm -hmm. it was like a 113-year high today. Really? Well, what are you going to do? It's Texas. It's hot. It's hot. we got to get over it. Troy Aikman said one time when it was like 110 in Dallas, he said, when it's 100, you can't tell the difference. I think you can. I think when it's 110, then it drops down to 100. It's, ooh, that feels so much cooler. I can only tell the difference in the humidity. Yeah, I, I guess quick so. my glasses. Do I walk outside and my glasses fog up, or when I mm. open the door, do they fog up? It's a dead giveaway. I've been it? here my whole life, and uh, there's no place I would rather live unless it was Pacific Heights in San Francisco, and I was multi, 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 multi millionaire. Yeah, because you, you need that mega yes. multi-millionaire stuff yes. to go along with living in Pacific Heights, apparently. Unless you're Michael Keaton. Was it him in that movie? He was in the movie. Also, Mrs. Doubtfire was in Pacific Heights. Oh, yeah. There have been several movies that have filmed there because it's such an incredible view looking down at the Golden mm-hmm. Gate Bridge and Alcatraz. Well, I, I think that's the most beautiful city in America. Yep. I think Houston's the best place to live in America. I honestly believe that. I've lived in six different states. I love Boston just because it's my first love affair with a city. I love New York, too. These are great places to visit, to live there now. Mm-mm. Okay, I'll ask you this, and I'll yeah. ask the listeners to think about this. Right. If money was not an issue mm-hmm. and you could live one place and one place only, where, what city would it be and what part of the city would it be and why? Well, honestly, it's tough for me because... I love being the voice of a team, and I want to be the well, voice of this for team. Your, your, you couldn't have any kind of money and be the voice of the team unless you got a piece of the ownership and you're not. So just pretend money, right. you've hit the lottery, mm-hmm. and you can do anything, go anywhere. Mine would be Pacific Heights in San Francisco. Well, <laughs> not to raise kids, but I still love Miami. I really do. Do you? I well, love, Miami, love as, Miami as a place to live Where? for an adult. Where it, would you live in Miami? I love living in Miami, not Broward, not Fort Lauderdale, none of that. I want to live in Miami, maybe a high-rise on Brickell or something like With that. a great view. Overlooking Biscayne Bay and t- take out a star boat and sail that in regattas and stuff. I would love to do that. But I don't want to give up being the voice of the team because well, this is what I do. That. All that's, right, all has, right. I, so that's what I do you for enjoyment. Live, yeah. You would live in Miami and I would live in Pacific Heights. I, I think so. I think so. But honestly, my life is so tied into my career, like a lot of people, but this is what I do for fun. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I love to do this. I have that hobby. I, this is my hobby. This is what I do for fun, and this is what I want to do. My hobby is to fantasize what <laughs> I would do if I was loaded, which I'll never be. Well, you never know, John. What about, hey, have you written a book? Am I just asking you this right now after all these years? No, I've never written a book. Did you have a feeling that you wanted to? Never. Really? People ask me all the time, and I've never known it. Only a couple people have written sports books that actually made money. I see. And that was like John Feinstein when he wrote about Bobby Knight, Mm -hmm. maybe when he did uh, the golf a good walk spoil, yeah. which is a great title. But not many sports books make money. They give you the initial um, advance, right. and that's it. And that's it. Yeah, they get them published, but they just don't make money. Like Dan Jenkins' books, his are fiction, uh-huh. but he bases them on real characters, knowing yeah. if you put the real characters, people wouldn't 
buy it. But on the other hand, if you make up a name, you can write anything about that person you want to. Right. All the true stories. So I might think about something like that. I, I was more inclined to write movie scripts and wrote over half or two and then just quit. And for those who don't know, Dan Jenkins out of Fort Worth, a lot of golf books by him. He's phenomenal. Also wrote, was it Semi-Tough? Semi-Tough, yep. Yeah, I got to read made that. Into a movie, made the movie. The book was great. The movie was horrendous. Horrible. Now, Awful. North, who wrote North Dallas 40 Pete again? Jen. Oh, that's right. Play with the Cowboys. That's it right. Was much better than Semi-Tough. When the whole thing is Semi-Tough, you're talking about a 10, a woman who's a 10, like mm-hmm. Mo Derrick was a 10. They had Jill Claybert as a 10. Even She's not a 10. her heyday, she wasn't yeah. a 10. I'm not going to put a number on her. I'll just say she was not a 10. Right. you got to deal with somebody else in the 70s when you're dealing with the number 10. Uh, no offense to Jill Claybert. She was awesome. But you're right. Good point, John. Boy, we could talk movies all day. Let's talk about this, though. OTA start next week for the Houston Texans. And they had the rookie camp last week. And... To me, I looked at some of the guys, and look, you're not seeing a whole lot. It's rookies against rookies. But I liked seeing Kiki QT out there. I liked seeing the big tight end, Jordan Thomas. I thought he was a physical specimen. What are some of your thoughts on the initial action for the rookies? The coaches, as you pointed out, it is just two days, three nights of meetings, two days on the field. It's just a snapshot. They're really fired up about QT. Mm-hmm. Is it Kiki QT? Correct. Not Kiki Cutie. No, not Kinda Cutie. Like Cutie. Mm-hmm. They loved the way he ran routes, his explosiveness, the mm-hmm. way he made quick cuts. Now he ran a lot of routes at Tech. And that's not even counting the possibility of kickoff returns, assuming we have a kickoff ever again. And Jordan Thomas, who played, said he played at 280 and lined up out of necessity wide. I remember um, writing a thing, Brian Gabe, talking about when you're looking at tight ends, sometimes you take a guy who maybe was doing something because of necessity, but it didn't mean he couldn't do something else. Mm-hmm. Like he was being used as a receiver and not a blocker, but he could be the real good blocker. And I thought about that when they drafted Thomas, who's big. They list him at 265. He said he played at 280. When we talked to him after the draft, he said he was at 270. He's he's big. He's strong. He's willing. He's tough. That's what you want. A big guy who's strong, who's tough, and willing to pound people. And mm-hmm. you don't have anybody to do that other than Jordan Thomas. And they liked him a lot. Of course, they liked Reed and Rankin. And, uh, you know, Reed was a natural. And But uh, the first two picks, and then Jordan Aiken, the tight end, Who can catch? I wrote a thing that's on our website, Texas Sports Nation. And um, Jordan Aiken's third-round pick, somebody's going to be the odd man out, Ryan Griffin, Steven Anderson, Jordan Thomas. Jordan Thomas is going to be the big blocker. Ryan Griffin has the most experience. Uh, Steven Anderson had the most catches coming back. And then there's Jordan Aiken's not going to get cut. So I think Steven Anderson, barring injury, is going to have a tough time making his team. they got seven tight ends who will go on the field next week. But that's going to be an intriguing competition to watch, yeah. those four guys, because everybody brings something different. And I can't wait to see them because you got to have more out of your tight end than they have coming back with Griffin and Anderson, both of whom were hurt. Right. Their totals were not very good. Yeah, Fedorowicz was hurt all the time. His totals are not very good. So they were really pumped about the way Aikens caught and made an effort to block. And then 
Thomas uh, showed them he could be that online blocker. If it they lo- need him to cream cream somebody. It looks to me like Ryan Griffin put on some muscle weight, and we'll hear from Bill O'Brien next week about that, and Ryan Griffin himself. And I met Matt Lengel, who is a tight end they got from the Patriots and Browns. He's bounced around a little bit, has a couple of catches on his resume career-wise from the Patriots. And he's big. I mean, he's a C.J. Fedorowicz body type. I don't know if he can play like that, but he'll get into the mix as well. You're right. That's going to be a great position group to monitor, and I know you've been writing about that. I did, and, I and you know, they fell in love with it. Jordan Akins at the senior ball. Yep. If he hadn't been a 26-year-old rookie because he played for the Rangers four years in the minors, he would have been higher. But if you think about it, if a guy plays 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, that's a five-year career. Right. And uh, he's 6'3 and 250. Uh, Steven Anderson was listed at 6'2, 230. Today, that's just almost like a normal wide receiver. You know, Steven's not a tight end. He's not a big blocker, but he's a good receiver who can get open. So it's going to be fun to watch them on the field in training camp with Deshaun Watson when he's out there doing everything, which he won't be doing during the uh, OTAs. I think QT figures into the wide receiver competition very well for that three or four spot. You were mentioning the route running ability. I mean, Ellington did well when healthy, but he's going to have some competition here. I don't know how Sammy Coates fits in, but he's another guy I talked to this week. You'll hear from him soon enough on Texans Radio, and he's interesting. I mean, first of all, I love talking with him. The the guy is, is really bright, big body type. I think he's one of the biggest receivers we've ever had here along with Andre Johnson and I'm not saying he's Andre Johnson, but he'll be one to watch as well. It'll be interesting. That'll be the only time Sammy Coates and Andre Johnson are mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> They're about the same size, and Coates was real fast. Yep. And uh, But he was cut by Cleveland. Yep. Now, that doesn't mean he can't play because the Browns have made a lot of mistakes. But I also think if he he would have to play special teams, big guy like that. He knows position, it, too. He's going to have to run down the field and make some plays. Uh, the wide receivers... Kiki QT is not going to not make the team. Mm-hmm. He's going to play because Ellington's been hurt every year in the league. Ellington was a fourth-round pick. He made big plays last year. Boom, gets hurt. Braxton Miller's been hurt his first two years. I think this is make or break for Braxton. He can play inside or outside. And then Fuller, of course, he's the other starter. And I think if Ellington gets hurt, then Kiki QT will be getting a lot of work in the slot. Yeah. Wes Welker worked him out a lot. Wes Welker recommended him. Wes used his contacts at Tech talking to people about him. And Wes Welker went to the uh, – he jumped up on the table for Kiki QT when they were when they were drafting. Yeah, well, when you talk to him, you get this sense that he's a professional already, you know, that he's got this sort of gravitas about him. Some of these guys come in like that. I thought Peter Kalambayi was another one when we look at the defensive side of the ball. But what are you putting together on Fuller and Watson, the wide receiver hookup there with the quarterback and their production? You're putting together I'm a piece on that. I'm glad you asked because I know you read that what I wrote that was on TexasSportsNation.com mm-hmm. and uh, our website that is twenty nine ninety five a year that we write for every day. I need the you bootleg can't version. Get it anywhere else? Mm-hmm. Well, check out my Twitter. Okay. Because I tweet all those stories every day. And I, I looked at every pass Watson threw to Fuller and Hopkins. And, you know, Hopkins is immune to quarterback changes. It doesn't phase him. But Fuller, Fuller and Hopkins played four games together, averaged 40.5 points a game. In those games, Fuller's seven touchdowns, 13 catches, seven touchdowns, averaged 28.7 yards uh, a touchdown. 
for his all season, he averaged 15.1. Hopkins averaged like 14.4, and his touchdowns were like 18. And so, uh, and Watson's 9.2 yards per attempt led the NFL. Now, he only played seven games and started six, but they led the NFL. In the, the three, the four games they played together, let's see, it was Tennessee, Kansas City, uh, Seattle, and Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So three good teams and the worst team in the league. And three of those, when they played at home, 12 touchdowns, two interceptions. And mm-hmm. um, if and you think if they could stay healthy and play a full season together, remember Fuller didn't drop a pass? When Watson was throwing him the ball, Fuller was phenomenal. It's remember amazing. the deep balls? Fuller had four touchdowns of 20 or more yards, three mm-hmm. of 34 or more yards. So he, they like to go deep. And the key for Fuller, as we all know, and he knows, and he's working like crazy in the Sports Performance Center under new per- sports performance. I can't get over the weight room and the yeah. strength and rehab coach. And, and um, what do they call it? Sports Performance Center. Center. And Luke Richardson is the sports performance director, executive yeah. director. Strength and, so and conditioning coach. Fuller needs to, to, <laughs> to get bulkier. You know, yeah. He's slight. He and Kevin Johnson can really benefit from what Luke Richardson is bringing here, um, and that is to, to get stronger and more durable and put on a little weight. And so the idea that the Texans fans thinking about Watson and Fuller and Hopkins based on those four games last year, can you imagine, Mark, if they stay healthy, what they're capable of doing? Uh, I think they're capable of doing an awful lot. Since you brought up Luke Richardson. Hold on, I got one more. Okay. Watson's 19 touchdown passes, which we know were more than any quarterback history in his first seven games, averaged 20 yards a touchdown. When Houston has not had the kind of long-distance passing game. Ever. Since George Blanda. Oh, was throwing to you're going Hennigan. Houston Oilers, too. And yes, well, the Texans never Wait, had you're it. going Blanda? What about Warren Moon's no, long distance? They didn't distance. throw the ball deep much. They were running shoot. They were running shoot, which was like the West Coast with four wides where mm-hmm. everything was short and quick. And But Blanda throwing to Charlie Hennigan and Bill Groman in those first two years of the AFL when they won two championships, uh, that was the last time Houston has seen a passing game down the field like the Texans can have this year that they had for four games last season. When you have to summon the name George Blanda in Houston professional football history, that's something. He played here for six years. People remember him yep. as a Raider, and they don't. They can't. They forget what a great passing quarterback he was for the Oilers. John McClain is with us. Next up, a little bit more on the Texans' offense, and a number John has brought up many times, and we'll dig into that a little bit. And also some stuff about the defense as the team hits the field for full 11-on-11 OTAs. Next week, it's Texans Radio. Texans Radio here at NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer and John McClain in the Hyundai Texans Radio studio. John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. All right, General Digging deep into that number you like to give out about when Watson was playing, the team was what third in the NFL in rushing yards. They when Watson was when Watson was hurt in practice after the Seattle game, the Texans were third in rushing. With Watson as a starter, memory didn't start against Jacksonville. They were giving up two point four sacks a game, mm-hmm. and then if you take away the five sacks against Seattle, it would be down at one something. So. Watson made the offensive line look good, not to mention averaging 34 points in six games, including 39 in his last five. 
So I was watching the Texans highlight video, uh, a preview of it, and that will air actually in July. But I was watching a preview of it because they put it together in advance. And I was watching all these highlights, and I saw Lamar Miller, obviously, very active when Watson was in there. He had six touchdowns. He should have been. Yeah, he had that great catch against, well, great catch. It was a great play by Watson to find Miller wide open in the end zone. He had the pitch. Watson threw him a pitch. I forget what game that was. But I thought, what were Lamar's numbers? You know, they weren't crazy good. He scored. They weren't crazy good in average. It was still under four yards per carry and everything. I just think Watson adds so much. And when they hear your numbers about rushing, well, the numbers that you brought up about rushing, you might think, well, Watson must have run for 100 yards a game. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Uh-huh. He, not even close. I think the threat of him running really helps. And also Bill O'Brien's commitment to the run. Yeah, I've got this quarterback who throws the ball really well. Doesn't mean I'm going to throw it all the time. I still want to run the football. It keeps people off balance. It opens up things in the passing game. And Deontay Foreman was healthy then, too. Yeah, and he was active. And so the three of them. And Mm -hmm. people always, well, gosh, why don't they get rid of Miller, cut him? He's going to be cut for the cap. He had six touchdowns. That was more than anybody other than DeAndre Hopkins. And uh, the average of less than four yards of carry, I would think that some of that had to do with the offensive line. Right. Only one regular starter will be back, and that'll be center Nick Martin. I expect Fulton and Calamete to be the guards and Henderson Davenport to be the tackles to start off. And uh, so I, we'll see. Is it going to make the running game better? You know, they're not going to have I, – I still don't understand, Mark. When we were in Miami for the Texans-Dolphins game, in which the Dolphins obliterated the Texans in 2015, Lamar Miller had that long catch and that long run. Yeah, looked amazing. What happened to the speed? Well, I don't. You know, Is maybe he just it's not in a position that to do that here. Maybe it's there. It's just that there aren't that many lanes or whatever. I don't know. He's not running through people. I don't think that's who he is anyway. You got to get him free to do. He was some that day. Yeah, he was that day. Well, I think that was a horrible day for them. That first half was. The worst, the worst half of football I've ever seen the Texans play. Ever. No, no. Remember the Seattle game in 2005? That was awful, too. And that was all rushing yards, too, wasn't it? They weren't even throwing the ball. something. Two guys gained over 100, and I don't think they've ever been heard from again. Yeah, that was that was 342 big. yards. It was like over that. 300 yards rushing in an NFL game. Astros were in a World Series, and mm. that was a primetime game. Mm-hmm. We were up there to watch the Texans get obliterated. Yeah, that's a good point. That was pretty bad. Uh, you brought up Luke Richardson in the last segment, and I never went to this point, but I predict that sometime very soon you're going to be writing about that sports performance center because I interviewed a bunch of players this week. We had internal media days where we shoot the video board intros and do a bunch of other stuff, and they were all talking about the differences here with that sports performance center, with the nutrition. It makes a big difference to them. And maybe right away it's an incremental thing that grows from there. We had Brian Peters on the air last night talking about it, that things build slowly but surely, and eventually you get big gains. And I think that the players are all going to rape about this next week when the media come in. Um, there's a big sign in there that says relentless discipline. Mm-hmm. And he is a, an enforcer about discipline, doing things the right way. If you don't do, if you need to move your finger over here on the weight, on the machine, he'll have you do it and do it again till you get it right. Each player gets individual attention. It's not like when Ted Johnson played, the linebackers did everything the same way. Right. Every player has their program, and he brought in his people. They added some positions. The McNairs have spent, gave them carte blanche, whatever you need. Cal and Bob told them, if 
you need to spend it, spend it. And I'm told there's several million that when all is said and done mm. that's gone into that. And so the only way we're really going to know about Luke Richardson's impact, we already do. I was talking to Watt. Watt was just raving. He said, when you can start talking to the players about this, you bring up Luke Richardson and you listen to what everybody says, just like you said. And so, but... If they end up with 20 players on IR, including 13 starters, it's not going to have quite the impact. You know, right. you, you There's nothing you can do about Will Fuller going up and coming down on his shoulder in training camp. Nothing. Yeah. But maybe the muscles, yeah. the soft tissue, maybe mm-hmm. he will have an impact on that. I keep, I, I've been out a lot lately with fans, and they're like talking about how bad the Texans were. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, you know, Jacksonville lost one starter. I said, what do you think the Texans would have done if they lost one starter? Playoffs. Oh, they'd have been in playoffs. They'd have won the division. They might have threatened New England like Jacksonville did. And I said, well, why are you so down on them? Because I said, all those guys are back. They're all yep. going to be 100%. You know, they'll take it easy on Watson. He won't do 11 on 11, but he'll do a lot of other stuff. He's been on the field doing stuff now. And Training camp rolls around. He'll be ready to go 100%. So uh, I don't know why people are not fired up. Uh, and I, maybe, I don't know, but they're all like they're just kind of down. I said, if mm. Watson's healthy, they're capable of beating anybody, anywhere, anytime. And I remember Warren Moon told me, when I called Warren about Watson, and one of the things he told Watson right after the draft, take care of yourself physically. You're going to get hit like you've never been hit in college. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things Moon did. Now, he was a 28-year-old rookie who came from Canada. Yep. He lived in the weight room with Steve Waters and the strength and rehab guy. And only one time did he get seriously hurt or broken clavicle in 88. Right. And so he uh, – he and, and Warren came in at like 215 and gained about 10 pounds of muscle over time, and you could see it, and he took a beating. And so Watson is, you know, he's thin. You know, to me, when I see Deshaun, he looks like he could play guard uh, for the Rockets. And I think Richardson will 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 help him. Yeah. Well, not about knee injuries, but just help him withstand some of the punishment he's going to absorb. Yeah, I think it's a great point. As far as the quarterback position goes, they signed Stephen Morris, the former University of Miami quarterback. To me, this looks like an OTA arm, you know, because Watson can't do everything in the 11-on-11. And then some. And you have Brandon Whedon. I don't know how many quarterback reps Joe Webb was slated to get. Maybe a lot, maybe not that many, because they want him to do some other things as well, and maybe he just doesn't have the time to spend. So Morris makes sense to me to fill in the gap there. I asked a, a guy I was with two days ago who was bemoaning Brandon Whedon, and I said, well, let me ask you, if the Texans had a chance to get a backup quarterback, and the last time he played, he won two games, he had three touchdowns passing, no interceptions. His rating was 107. And he ran one in. And he ran for a touchdown. So that's four touchdowns in two games, no turnovers. And you Would won you a game him, that you never won before. Would you want him to sign him? He goes, yeah. That's mm-hmm. what they did. Right. That's a good point. People that's a great way to bring it up. Mm-hmm. It's been so long since Whedon's played, and they see he's 34, and he was a number one pick. and. And but the last time anybody saw Brandon Whedon play, he played pretty well, beating yeah. the Colts and the was it the Titans or the Jaguars? Titans. Titans. Up there, both on the road, so that says something. He fits in well. He's kind of a gamer on this team anyway. 
And you bring up 34, not a lot of football mileage on him, really, because he had a baseball career going. He had Oklahoma State going. And in the NFL, you know, he hasn't played a ton, actually. So that's a good thing in a way. And he's a tremendous athlete. So. He's a young 34. And by the way, meeting Joe Webb, I mean, Joe Webb is going to, anytime people interview him, people watching that stuff, are they're going to love it because he's got an infectious personality. I don't know how he fits in here. I don't know how they're going to use him. We'll hear more next week from Bill O'Brien. But I'm looking forward to seeing whatever they do with him. I think it's an exciting prospect. He's played receiver. He's played special teams. He's a mobile quarterback if they mm-hmm. wanted to. Emulate Watson, he would be good. People forget Wheaton's pretty good, pretty mobile too. Brandon spent all that time with Watson last year, and he mm-hmm. knows O'Brien's system inside out. And he's not a guy like uh, Flacco and Roethlisberger who's not going to help. And and uh, he helped uh, Watson a lot. And I heard Brandon was really surprised and upset when he got cut. You know, he spent yeah. a year with the Titans. He ended up going to the second round of the playoffs, but he loved it here, and I'm glad he put it behind him and came back because he just seems kind of like an ideal fit. He certainly does. All right, defensively, John, Zach Cunningham, put him in the spotlight for a moment here. Going into year two, he's put on some weight, about 10 pounds, and he's one of those linebackers who can run and cover, and he played a lot last year. So he's one of those guys that we'll be focusing on for year one to year two jump status. According to the coaches, usually rookies start to tail off at the end of the season. And, then, you know, their Texans had nowhere to go. But instead, Cunningham got better. He got better. It was no If there was a rookie wall, he crashed through it. Mm-hmm. And he improved his coverage. Remember when he got abused in the preseason by New England, but they abused a lot. And he got better. And then, of course, McKinney's their leading tackler. And you think the key is, is Romeo Cornell going to put Clowney back at end in the base three man front, or is he going to leave him a linebacker and let him drop down and rush from the right side? The answer might be yes to both, right? So if if he goes down, then uh, uh, we got Watt and Reader. But they said Brandon Dunn played really well yeah. the last season because Reader was able to move to end, and then and then Reader, Covington, and Watt were all on IR. But Dunn played well. So you wonder can he pick up where he left off? And so if Clowney is a linebacker, the linebackers are set. If he drops down in the base defense, who's going to be the other linebacker? Brennan Scarlett? Mm-hmm. Could one of these draft choices? I don't think they're going to win that job. Romeo's defense is too complicated. You missed, mentioned Peter. Calumby. Calumby. And then I like Duke Edgeford. Right. Now, he's making a transition from end to outside linebacker, so his head's going to be spinning. But they, they need depth at those positions. And... um but the front seven will help the secondary so much if those guys can stay reasonably healthy. Well, I feel like we talk about it every week, but the secondary, we're talking about position group competitions. That secondary competition is going to be something. You know, when you look at safety, when you look at the corners, and, and who's going to play where, I think, will be very fun to spot how the coaches handle this and where they put who just to try people out in certain spots. You got your three top three safeties. And in corner you got Colvin and Johnson, Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson. Treston Deku, of course, moved to safety. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan Joseph has never not been a starter. He's 34 years old. Uh, they signed him to a new contract. It would be so weird to see him out there and not starting. But if Colvin is the starter with, say, Kevin Johnson, then that means Kareem Jackson and 
and Jonathan would come off the bench, the two most senior members of the secondary. If Colvin plays in a slot with uh, Joseph and Johnson outside, where does Kareem go? Because Kareem's been the slot receiver. And every year, Jonathan gets nicked up a little, Kareem gets nicked up a little, Kevin Johnson gets nicked up a lot, and Colvin has been healthy with the Jaguars. So they, I, I feel good that the Texans are in so much better shape there because I'm, I believe, and I don't, I'm sure you do too, Anthony Midget is going to have a really good effect on Kevin Johnson, and so is Luke Richardson because Kevin is a workout fiend, a workout warrior. And I would imagine he's going to be in here long after everybody's gone in the off-season program like he was last year working with Luke Richardson. And so I think he'll bounce back and have a good season. They showed a lot of confidence in him by picking up the fifth-year option. And now he's got to reward that faith. And if he can stay healthy, he'll be able to do it. The general stays with us. We'll go around the league next. More info on the Texans and this on the Colts. Why are they having trouble selling tickets? I've got my theory. We'll discuss on Texans All Access. John McClain, the general from the Houston Chronicle, joining us on Texans All Access tonight. Let's go around the league a bit. And as it affects the Texans, some stories around the National Football League and beyond. First of all, General, the big story this week about the Supreme Court and the ruling on gambling and sports, and obviously the people in New Jersey are excited, a lot of other states as well. Your take on this decision? First of all, I believe I saw Bob McNair turning cartwheels down River Oaks Boulevard. I saw Jim Crane turning cartwheels around Minute Maid Park. Tilma Fertitta turning cartwheels in uh, Landry's because the value of their franchises is going to skyrocket. The problem is this, and this is interesting for Fertitta. We are in an ultra-conservative state run by ultra-conservative Republicans. They have, there's been so many lobbies to try to get casino gambling here. They know the tax money, what they could do with it, but instead all their money's going to Louisiana, Oklahoma. And it's just amazing how much of our money goes to surrounding states. And they have a strong lobby. So we had two great stories in the Chronicle about I can't remember who the expert was. He said tofu will become the official food of Texas instead of chili before they're going to allow sports gambling in our state because that's just the way we are. It took forever to get horse racing, decades of lobbying for it. And John Lopez and I disagreed. He thinks it'll come quicker than I do. And I'm thinking maybe in five years. And the key is will the NFL go forward on a statewide level if some teams – can do it, and some, like Texas, cannot. Right. And now, Fertitta has the golden nugget in Lake Charles. It is packed with with people from Texas and Houston. Now, if you cannot gamble in Texas, think Tillman's going to have to build two more right next door to get all those people from Houston. It's two hours to go over there and gamble on the NFL legally every weekend. Right. So he's got the Rockets that uh, – that if it was gambling in Texas, people would be gambling on it. And instead, I just think it'll be a while. Peter King brought up some interesting points. Does every team have to hire a gambling expert to make sure everything, everybody knows the rules? Do players and coaches get to gamble? Do you get to gamble? Teams could have mm-hmm. a rule. Nobody gambles. You know, it could be you don't gamble on your team. But I don't do it, but I don't think I'm allowed to anyway as a team employee. Yeah, I don't because, you know, you can smoke pot and 
Colorado, but it's still against NFL rules. Right. If you get caught, you get busted. So there's a lot of ramifications here before it's going to be implemented. But, man, oh, man, when it all is normal, say five, six years from now, the money that's going to be coming in, wow. All right, They're going to look at Tepper in Carolina and go, man, what a great deal he got. Remember when everybody said yeah. McNair was crazy mm-hmm. to pay so much money for a franchise? $700 million. That's nothing. That's a, that's a discount, $700 million. Easy money. And all, all of that in the next five to ten years, it's going to be. And Mark Cuban said double. every franchise will double, and that could be conservative. Wow, that's amazing. Now, you, we, when we bring up Bob McNair's $700 million, in 1999 it was, right? That was when the franchise was awarded to Houston officially. Didn't start play until 2002. But at the time, that was a ton of money for a it franchise. Was. It was. Because L.A. wasn't willing to pony up that kind of cash, and they didn't have the infrastructure done. That's why I think no matter what you pay for a franchise today, especially in the NFL, the value is just going to keep going up. It's great real estate. And gambling now, mm-hmm. you imagine sitting at a seat at a Texans game at halftime and you pull out your phone and say, okay, the odds of Hopkins being the first guy to score a touchdown or which quarterback's going to throw the quickest interception oh boy. or second-half point spread. You know, people are going to be sitting there. You know, advertising is going to go up. Sponsorships are going to go up. And the TV ratings now. Because maybe people are gambling and they're going to watch the games more, mm. and TV ratings should go up. I just wish more people were employed as a result of all this money being pushed around. Well, but you're, you're, the bookies will be out of work. Yeah. <laughs> They'll have to get jobs somewhere. Yeah, so that's tough on them. All right, more on the way here from around the league, including the Colts. A story came out, their COO talking about why they've had difficulty getting season ticket renewals from 87 down to 82%. And he cited a bunch of things. I'm going to say this, though. The uncertainty about Andrew Luck's health has as much to do with it as anything else. Yeah, they've had a couple of bad seasons in a row, particularly last year. But the doubt around Andrew Luck, and there's still doubt. I guess a lot of people feel like he will be available for this year. But what are your thoughts on this subject, John? I agree with you 100%. I think uh, if Andrew is able, if he could say he could play a couple times in preseason and look Mm -hmm. good, I think that would encourage people to buy some more. But um, they don't want to see bad football. You know, the Texans killer, uh, they ought to love to see Jacoby Brissett when he's playing against the Texans, but he's not going to sell any tickets. And so most NFL teams are immune to that. They sell the season tickets. Fans may not show up when a team's bad, but they buy the tickets. And uh, 82%, you know, did they say what they are in a regular year? Is it – 90, I think they're down from the 90s when they were really going good. Well, I mean, you're talking about a team that went to an AFC championship game a few years ago. Well, Jim Irsay sure happy about the gambling then. And <laughs> there we go back to that. Uh, story uh, out of Dallas, 100.3, the fan, a sister station of our flagship sports radio 610. As Terrell Owens says, he's surprised that Jason Garrett hasn't been fired yet. Your thoughts on that? First of all, I don't give a rat's you-know-what, what Terrell Owens says. Mm-hmm. Any, like Jason Witten said on a podcast, he thinks Des Bryant will be with the Packers. Who cares? So all of a sudden, that's humongous news, and that comes out, uh, Packers are not interested. I keep seeing gamblers, web or Vegas odds have had Des Bryant coming here more than any other team. Not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, T.O., I don't know why anybody would care what T.O. said. And uh, and it certainly Jason Garrett doesn't. 
All right, now what about the report that came out earlier that the Cleveland Browns will be this year's hard knocks Good. team? Good, I tweeted that I thought I tweeted memo the Browns and their media. Enjoy it. I thought hard knocks mm-hmm. was a piece of cake. I thought it was fun. Had a great time. You know, the people weren't obtrusive. They were polite and professional. Yeah. And I was freaked out about it. I was worried that they were going to get all these inside stories we had no access to. And the only thing they had that I wish I'd had was when Rick Smith met with Ryan Mallett after he was late and talked to him, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And so the media, and I understand I was that way. You worry about getting scooped by HBO, but it just doesn't happen. The only thing you got to worry about, some teams that go on hard knocks don't do well, like Tampa, a great example. I right. the Bucks. I watched hard. I've watched every hard knocks, mm-hmm. and I watched them last year while we were at training camp in West Virginia, and I picked them to win the division. Uh, this year, I'm not going to pick Cleveland to win the division, no. no matter how impressed I am at hard knocks. Right. That would be a bad idea. John, with the NBA playoffs going on, a lot of talk about LeBron James and is he the greatest player ever and all of that. Tell me something, compare and contrast, Tom Brady, LeBron James, who will go down in history as the better player in their sport? Uh, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't say anybody could dispute it. Mm-hmm. And there, I would say Michael Jordan's better than LeBron. Really? I've watched both of them. And uh, he won six championships. And if he hadn't quit two years to go to baseball, Rocket fans don't want to hear this, but I would say he could have won two more. Could have. say he would have, but he could have. And so, uh, and he was a great player, and and LeBron's a great player. But I, you know, Jordan won more championships. He played with better players too. And what I'd like to see after this season is for the Rockets to go after LeBron when he tells the Cavs bye bye. When you grew up in Waco, how did you regard basketball? What kind of fan were you? We used to. I love basketball. It used to come on tape delay. Mm-hmm. And we'd go out in the backyard pretend we were Clyde Frazier and Earl the Pearl. And I watched the ABA, and if players shot left-handed like Artis Gilmore, I'd shoot left-handed. And then when I was playing like I was the Lakers, if I was Gail Goodrich, I'd shoot left-handed. 1971, when the Lakers had their great season and won a championship, they played the Rockets played home games in Waco and San Antonio as well as here to try to spread interest. They just moved here, and I went and watched Elvin Hayes and the Rockets beat the Lakers in the heart of Texas Coliseum. I didn't love the NBA like I loved the NFL and baseball, but uh, if you saw me out in the driveway shaking and baking, you might have been mistaken for Mike. What is Earl of Pearl doing in Waco? <laughs> so in Boston, I used to eat at this diner almost every day for a stretch. And one day I'm sitting there, and this large man comes in and sits down next to me at the counter and it's Artis Gilmore, who was spending his last year with the Celtics, and he was—I mean, it was just electric sitting next to Artis Gilmore. And I didn't say a word. I was just fanboy back then. I wasn't even in the business at that point. I was in the media sales side of the business, but uh, that one always stood out to me. And he was staying in a little kind of a dive motel where the Celtics used to put up their ten-day contract guys, and he was staying there. But uh, this was life of the NBA, even after all those years. I used to pretend I was also Bill Russell, Sam Jones. I'd put a toothpick, play with a toothpick in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Hal Greer, who died a couple of weeks ago, I never saw any story that pointed out he shot jump shots for his free throws. And so when I'd be Hal Greer, I'd have to shoot jump shot free throws, and I didn't make them nearly 
as consistently as he did. But we used to have a blast watching the NBA, but it was so weird. The playoffs were tape delayed. Yeah, tape delayed. Can you imagine? Well, we did see it. Big we didn't o, have to imagine it. Watching Oscar Robertson average a triple-double for a season, they didn't even call it that. It yeah. wasn't that big a deal watching Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and, and doing a finger roll like Wilt Chamberlain. and It was uh, it was so much fun. Just like Wilt. John, what do you have going on in the Chronicle? I have a column on Sunday about the Texans getting ready for OTAs on our Texas Sports Nation, which you can get txsn.com. And uh, I have a thing tomorrow about the offensive line, changes we can expect, things that are going on after the rookie minicamp and what they want to accomplish. Aaron Wilson's got some stories, so we will have quite a bit. Thank you very much, as always. Well, there he is, the General John McClain. I could talk about that stuff forever. Who's the best basketball player ever? Who's the best football player ever? These debates are impossible to really resolve, but they're fun, right? Everybody has an opinion, and I get asked about this, you know, who are you rooting for? I've said this before, in the NBA playoffs, I actually root for LeBron until he would play the Rockets, of course, but LeBron, to me, in Cleveland is compelling, and I root for him there. LeBron in Miami, rooted for him to lose every time. I don't know what it is. It's just one of those things. I didn't like the way he went to Miami. Of course, it was his right to go to Miami. I don't want to open up that debate. But certain football players you root for and against, no matter what the situation is. Like Tom Brady, I root for him never, unless it's going to help the Texans, unless he's playing the Jaguars, Titans, Colts, that kind of thing, or you need another team to lose for some reason. I can't remember a situation where that's really come up. I would root for them to lose in every other situation. It's just that way. And I respect him. I like him, actually. But I want him to lose. Because they're the enemy, they're the villain, they're the evil empire. And I'm sure many of you feel the same way. I remember this in the 2005 college football season national championship. And the Aggies, I asked them on the air, are you rooting for the Longhorns in the national championship game, in that epic game against USC? And many Aggies said yes, because they're from Texas. I cannot imagine rooting for the Cowboys unless, again, it was going to help the Texans some way, right? Like this year, the Cowboys are going to play the Jaguars, the Titans, and the Colts. Are you going to root for the AFC South team because you hate the Cowboys? And I know not everybody listening hates the Cowboys. I get that. Or are you going to root for the Cowboys in those games? I will actually root for Dallas in those games. I will because it's going to help the Texans. In every other game, I'm rooting against Dallas, again, unless the Texans need the Cowboys to beat an AFC opponent for whatever reason. It's just one of those things about sports, and it's fun to discuss. And we have to end the discussion right now, because Galat at Night is next. Tomorrow night, Johnny Harris back in the chair, and I'll be on the show as well. And we'll have a Texan or two on the program. A lot of interviews coming away in the next few weeks as OTAs get rolling next week. Thank you, Eddie, for producing. Thank you, John McClain, for being on. Thank you for listening. This show will be on TuneIn. It'll be up there on iTunes and everywhere else you like podcasts. And there are the other Texans podcasts up there as well. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. Go Texans.